Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. How's it going, everybody? It's about 3.15, Friday afternoon, April the 17th, 2020, and it's time for the 70th trip down the homeward path. My name is Adam. I'm a husband, father of three, just finished working about 48 hours this week. Somehow, someway, we're trying our best to find a way to make competitive magic work in a little bit of a tight spot, as it were especially given the climate of the country and the world at large. So, I don't have any, uh, I don't have any real topics for the fast lane this week. Uh, standard is the focus of this episode. The upcoming standard format is the focus. So, we're just going to breeze right over until I, have, uh, until I have a deck worth sharing, until I have something worth sharing in that and we're going to slide right into the slow lane we're going to take all the time we need today because this standard format based on what i'm seeing so far both the design philosophies of icoria the way the standard format was pointing before icoria released and knowing magic players as well as i think i do after all the years that i've been one of them and you know, kind of studied the game, as it were. This format is going to be a slugfest. It always seems to happen this way, right? Like the the beginning portion of the format is very aggro-dominated. Yeah, you'll get kind of some, some mid-rangey decks that pop up and do a good job of demonstrating superiority. But the, the early portion of the, the yearly standard cycle is usually aggro-dominated. And this year was no exception. We had decks like uh, Gruel Adventure and the, the Jun Sacrifice decks. And you know, While technically Jun Sacrifice is not an aggro deck, it had some powerful fast starts that made it hard for things to catch up. We had the litany of blue-green X decks, and I'm not even talking about during the, the Oko food era, which we just don't even want to talk about how busted that was, right? But even since then, we've had kind of a, we, we've enjoyed kind of your classic aggro versus control metagames with the odd mid-range deck in there, or the odd ramp deck in there to, to move things in the other direction, move things toward one or the other of them. You know, when we had a lot of, uh, when Mono Red was the deck to beat, and we had a lot of the, Mono Red was the deck to beat, Team of Reclamation was widely considered the best deck because it could boast a solid Mono Red matchup, beat up on all the decks that came to beat up on Mono Red, and then, you know, have the quote-unquote superior late game compared to blue-white control. Then we got blue-white control that came out and won worlds, but then in the wake of that, we had the the synergy-driven aggro deck that is Teamer Clover and its various 
disciples, whether it's the, the green black version, uh, streamlined Simic adventure, so on and so forth. Now, you know, we have the, the dichotomy of a format or prior to Ikoria, we had the dichotomy of a format warped between that sort of control, even though it has fast draws and it has proactive things, it's largely still a reactive control deck. You're playing cards like Shatter the Sky. You're playing cards like uh, Absorb to Fairy. You're definitely more interested in the game going longer than not. And then, of course, Blue-White Control was still a player. Several other decks could still stake a claim to being viable in the format. So, moving into Ikoria, the design philosophy is on mid-range. It looks to be a yet another set that adds to the embarrassment of riches that green decks have access to. They already had cards like Questing Beast. They already had cards like Lovestruck Beast. They already had cards like Nissa, Uro, Growth Spiral, Arboreal Grazer to jump ahead on mana, Gilded Goose, Trail of Crumbs, you know, both individually powerful and value-driven cards. Green's got them both, sometimes in the same card. And then Ikoria kind of makes every color green. Everybody gets big, dumb stuff. So with that in mind, it's kind of hearkening back. Standard shifts toward being mid-range dominant. And it's something I've seen before. It's not out of the ordinary for Standard to take this direction. Notably, the one of the, you know some of the earliest standard formats I played were mid-range dominant, and specifically green mid-range dominant. Uh, oh, Alara Zendikar, the the tail end of Shards of Alara blocks time in standard was very much dominated by mana hungry green mid-range decks. Uh, what is it? The I'm trying to remember the. Oh, I can't. I can't brain today. Um, the what is it? What format was that? What is the name of this? It's on the tip of my tongue and I can't remember. The like the the first standard I came back to in 2016. Collected company decks were everywhere. Value driven green mid range. Uh, green black delirium. Uh, Green-Black Constrictor and Teamer Energy. Every time Standard swells to a larger number of sets, the format tends to end up dominated by mid-range decks. And it's not really terribly surprising, if I'm being honest. Standard formats are weird in that there's usually a lot more nuance than would meet the eye. But a lot of times the players just want to gravitate toward the shell that gets to play the largest number 
of either individually powerful cards or cards that provide the most value. And sometimes you just try to make do with a little bit of both. You try to make do with, a, you know, a handful of Bane Slayers and a handful of Moldrifters together in a deck. And every Bane Slayer that goes unchecked is a Moldrifter that climbs you back into the game, so on and so forth. We're approaching, I think, that kind of a standard format. Although it seems to be one that's going to be a little bit faster at doing this than we've experienced in a few years. And that's okay, too. So how do you combat the mid-range phenomenon? How do you go into a mid-range dominant standard format and say, all right, let's take this thing by the horns and let's figure some things out? Well, in my experience, there's three ways to go about it. So we're going to highlight each one individually and then kind of go over some concepts where you might combine two of them. The first and the most popular way to go about combating the mid-range, a mid-range dominant standard format is to beat them at their own game, which is go a little bit over, be a mid-range deck that goes a little bit further over the top of other mid-range decks. I've been in this situation. I've, I've done this myself before. It can be so exhilarating to get it right. You know, the the summer of Alara Zendikar, when it was it was John Cascade versus Blue White Control, and then Mythic comes out and is just this mid-range monstrosity, right? Like Blue White Control is expecting you to cast like Putrid Leech into Blightning into Bloodbraid Elf into something. And then here's Mythic just going Lotus Cobra, Sovereigns of Lost Alara, Eldrazi Conscription attack. Like, ew. It just went, it's a mid-range deck that just went so so far over the top of people so fast that it just didn't matter how much interaction you had. Every single card it played killed you. And that's kind of the approach of the Simic decks right now, like the Blue-Green Axe Ramp decks. The, uh, as I like to call them before, the uh, Growth Spiral Uro Nissa decks. Because you just start jamming things into play that kill your opponent. Nissa kills you. Hydrocrasis kills you and or draws a bunch of cards. You know, Voracious Hydra, big enough, can just kill you. Mass manipulation takes all your stuff and kills you. Uh, the Liliana Dreadhorde General eventually kills you. Oh, what's the Elspeth Conquers Death? Values you, values you out and then kills you. You know, all of your cards are just so good, and then you turbo into them so quickly. But even like the, the green-black delirium standard or the, the summer of mono-red where it was mono-red and teamer energy and the, the various forms of control decks and like the, it was Amonkhet Hour Devastation standard before we got Ixalan, before we lost the battle for Zendikar blocks, teamer energy was widely considered one of the best decks and what i did is i tuned my teamer deck to be a little bit better against my opponent's teamer decks by cutting the card that was probably the worst in the mirror unless you were on the play every time 
actually, you know, I, I cut the sacred cow. I cut the long tusk cow. In exchange for adopting a similar principle to Mythic, which was to play mana creatures and jump curve from two to four and from four to six in order to play cards like Olvenwald Hydra, which was just so big that the mirror had trouble killing it. They would have to expend resources they didn't want to spend to kill an Ulvenwald Hydra. Now, even if you play it, just just drop it out as a six mana five five, or a, you know a six mana four four that goes and gets the fifth land on turn four. That's a little imposing for the the energy mirror that really wants to be sinking its energy into cards like Whirler Virtuoso and. Uh, Long Tusk Cub and Bristling Hydra and you just put this big dumb thing on the table that also goes and gets a creature land and you have more mana on your next turn to be able to interact with everything going on on the other side So the idea, it's, it's a popular one among Magic players to take the mid-range deck that you think has the best, kind of the best overall core and then tune it to beat the mirror. Because if your overall core is good, you at least still have a, a good amount of play in all your other matchups and then you just have to try to beat the mirror. Go over the top of them, have a couple of more haymakers than them and you can win because inevitably what you do is you get into a battle of powerful top decks and one of you draws more of them. Mana sinks become powerful engines. It's where the uh, the four color energy came to bear in the the Teamer Energy Standard. You know, the Scarab God was a powerful mana sink, but compared to compared to regular Teamer Energy, you were maybe a little bit of a dog to mono red and the like but you had better game against the mirror because even though your mana base was a little bit questionable at times you had this big dumb thing that they couldn't beat reliably like if they weren't playing exactly the essence scatter and torrential gear hulk list you were going over the top of them with this thing they just couldn't beat So that's the first way to, to work your way through a mid-range dominated format. Be a little bit bigger than them. Have one or two things that's a little bit bigger than what they're wanting to do. Brian Kibler did the same thing during the Fires of Yavamaya standard, where the aggro decks actually just weren't very good. So Fires decks were kind of the de facto aggro, but they were really more of like your traditional mid-range decks with big dumb green creatures and fires just gave them haste so it was more aggressive but then Kibler would just put a Rithy Awakener on the table and you couldn't do anything about it you'd have to expend so many cards to get the Rith off the table that it, it did its job and heaven help you if that thing survived to attack maybe he straps an armadillo cloak on it and then it brains you for 8 you gain 8 and then they just make a bunch of tokens that allows them to chump block your blastoderms to death. And then they just, it's a bad time for everybody, right? So that's the first way 
to combat mid-range. Just be a slightly bigger mid-range deck. The second way is to go the other direction and be as streamlined and aggressive deck as possible. Which is to say to, instead of focusing on trying to maximize individual card power in your mid-range matchups, you want to maximize the spell velocity. You want to maximize the number of spells you're casting and resolving. And when I say aggressive deck, I don't necessarily mean like Mono Red or Recto Sack, although they're obviously really good at this part of the game. I also mean decks like Simic Flash. I also mean decks like the new Demir flavored Flash deck. Uh, decks like the the various forms of mono white decks like just any deck that wants to beat you by having a low curve and overwhelming your capacity to interact because that's kind of one of the tenets of mid-range is you play the best interaction but not necessarily the most you don't play a lot of it you just play like the most efficient interaction that you need in order to hang in there in order to, to be able to fight them Sometimes it's about value. Sometimes it's about trying to get a get a two-for-one, and in exchange, your mana efficiency is really bad. Well, you can punish that mana efficiency by casting, jamming multiple power, you know, reasonable rate cards at lower points in the mana curve into their face. Speed can beat power if speed is fast enough. You know, obviously, you know, a gruel deck that's playing, like, haste creatures at one, two, and three mana, and then uh, questing beast and embercleave can just get under nearly anything, right? But it's not even necessarily about that. Because Simic Flash can get under these, these mid-range decks, too. Even though a lot of the builds of Simic Flash have kind of taken on the mantra of being a mid-range deck that gets under... That's another good example of, of combining things, but we'll get to that a little bit better later. But counter spells are really good at getting under big, expensive, powerful spells because you can cast multiples in a turn, and your opponent often can't cast multiple haymakers in a turn. So you can either keep them at bay long enough to resolve your haymakers or long enough to set up some kind of a snowballing advantage. Frequently, it takes the form of additional combat steps, whether it's, you know, mono-red adopting removal spells that are better at killing bigger creatures, or playing a couple of bigger creatures of its own in order to, to try to sort of break serve on the top end, you know, have some powerful things that are maybe not quite as powerful as what the mid-range decks are doing, but somewhere in that ballpark. And then with the overall speed of your deck, you can kind of force them onto the back foot, force them to take turns off from setting up, which in turn slows down their capacity to jam these big, powerful things into your face. So whether you're looking to do it with like Mono Red, Recto Sacrifice, Flash decks, uh, adventure decks. 
That's another, you know, you just want to resolve as many meaningful spells as possible in a very short amount of time. Adventure decks are a really good example of getting under a mid-range dominated format. Because you just, like, Edgewall Innkeeper into Lucky Clover isn't a ton of life total pressure, but my heavens, is it a lot of value to, to give up in the early game. And then if, if that setup survives and you go into fertile footsteps on the next turn and you get to go get two lands, suddenly you're capable of matching the, the mid-range ramp deck's capacity to make mana, but you're casting so many more spells. You're getting so much more presence on the board. Synergy decks are often in this category. So getting under a mid-range deck is a viable option. You just have to bear in mind the kind of interaction that your opponent might have at their disposal. You don't want to play too heavily to the board and get blown out by a Shatter the Sky that they were kind of holding back and waiting to resolve their Nyssa after. It can be frustrating. And then especially now the, uh, the Fires decks have this have the capacity to, like, with Fires of Invention on the table, they can pay of wishes for the, the Mardu Ultimatum, Ruinous Ultimatum, and just get your entire board. So it's important to recognize the tools that your opponent may have at their disposal. That being said, there's no shame in adopting a few of those tools yourself. And that's where we get to our third method of combating them, which is combining the, the first two methods in various different ways. The first and most popular method in a mid-range dominant format is to build a control deck. Because in the early to mid game, you combine, in the early to mid game, you're relying on tempo advantage. You're relying on cheap interaction on your part, counter spells, uh, versatile but efficient removal, all of those kinds of things, to keep your opponent operating at a mana disadvantage, operating off curve, not being able to just do what they want to do game in and game out. You want to keep them off balance. And then you get into the mid game and you just want to be able to catch anything that made it through. You want to be able to catch all the way up on the board. Well, then once you get to the mid-late to the, the mid -late game, your cards are just as powerful as theirs. You may not have as many of them, but the ones you have are protected by your interaction. Again, you get the capacity to double spell. Your opponent frequently does not. Jamming something like you know, you get to eight lands, your opponent's got eight lands, you jam a Dream Trawler, but you leave up, I don't know, Quench, Negate, Essence Scatter. Essence Scatter being back in the format is so nice, by the way. You know, you leave up Dovin's Veto or Essence Scatter and just pass the turn. Your opponent's got to do something. That Dream Trawler's going to kill them. But you have a combination of outs, potentially. You know, Dream Trawler makes it difficult to race. Uh, Elspeth Conquer's death, you both neutralize their power play and then set up the capacity to revive yours later. 
I've mentioned it a couple of times on the show about the, the, or maybe not on the show. I've mentioned it in passing to, in conversation with other players, the possibility of like the, the world style blue, white control decks, because they play so many enchantments that are disruptive, that are good, effective counters to what the opponent's trying to do. I've mentioned the possibility, I've floated the possibility of playing one to two copies of Dance of the Mance in your blue-white control deck. As it can buy back Elspeth Conquer's death and, like, buy back Elspeth Conquer's death and Banishing Light and any number of combination of cards like Birth of Miletus and uh, Omen of the Sea, and you get to draw, you get to, you know, fix your hand, get some card advantage, but also neutralize some threats across the table. Oh, and by the way, they're four fours. You know, by the way, they're killing you. And if they fail to kill you, well, we're up on resources. We're we're doing stuff. So, and then I mentioned about the flash decks earlier. It's the same basic premise, right? A lot of them, like the Is It Flash deck is a really good example of being like pigeonholed into the idea of getting under. Using cards like Scorching Dragonfire, Lava Coil, Bone Crusher Giant, uh, Brineborn Cutthroat, Brazen Bar, where you're getting way under them on mana efficiency. You're keeping their big stuff from killing you while you're setting up additional combat steps with your three and four and two or three, you know, your two, three and four power creatures. You're not interested in a in a long, long game, but you can play this elegant stage two thing really well. Simic Flash is kind of the opposite. You're using the fact that you know when your opponent's high-impact, super-powerful cards come online as your way to beat them. Because you can jam, you know, they jam a, a five-drop into your four open mana and they just get frilled mystic into Nyssa and suddenly the game is well in your favor. You know, you frilled Mystic into Nyssa untapped breeding pool, and suddenly they're in a world of hurt. You know, they're taking six, you've got a Nyssa on the table, you've got the ability to leave up, negate, and essence scatter. And it's just such a beating. Arguably, Demir Flash is in much the same boat, you know. Even though you're hard casting, you can jam, you know, Slither Muse, or not, a Slither, what is Spell Slither, the three drop that draws a card and pings your opponent for one every time you cast a spell with Flash. You can instep that, Ashiox Erasure, your, your power card, and then... On five, you've got a lot of different stuff you can leave up. You've got the shark that will draw you another card. If you're playing Omen of the Sea, you can you can use that to sculpt your hand. And then you can, if they don't, if they do something, if they jam something into your open mana, you can punish them for it. Untap, hit your land drop, and just jam a Garuda down their throat. Like the idea of using one to set up the other is a really powerful, effective line in a mid-range dominant format. Using the fact that you have a few good haymakers 
with the fact that you're capable of playing a mana-efficient game through the early going and keep pace with them. They may be doing a lot of stuff, but you can make sure none of it matters. And I think that's really important to keep in mind as we go into a format where I think players are going to feel that individual card power matters maybe more than ever. The ability to keep pace through the early turns, neutralize some of the power that those decks have at their disposal. Uh, it just, it, it opens the whole world up to you, right? Even is it flash eventually adopted Gadwick because that was something you could, you could build toward. You could use a tempo turn for, and it would reload your hand with interaction. So even if they cleared your board, it would give you the ability to on an even footing with your opponent. Let's fight this battle all over again. I'm still going to win it. So that's, that's kind of where I see the standard format right now. It's intriguing. It's exciting. There's a lot of new stuff, but I think as we go through it, a lot of old familiar favorites will rear their head. Uh, but I'm, I'm looking forward to playing it. I, I, I know, or at least I hope all of you are too. So that's all I've got. You got questions, comments, concerns? Twitter, at HomewardPathMTG. Facebook, my name is Adam Spain. Uh, Facebook group, Homeward Pathfinders. Open invite, just send a request to join. Uh, can't think here. If you want to become a patron of the show and gain access to the Patron Pathfinders Discord, head over to patreon.com. Slash Homeward Path MTG, this show and everything, every major piece of content I put out <clears throat> is always going to be free, but we always appreciate your contributions to help me keep doing what I'm doing. So, with that in mind, let's head to my favorite segment at the end of the episode. Hashtag MTG Dad Jokes. Okay, we already got that one in. Okay, first one we have from uh, Ben Stark. says, I always say I like good puns, and there's often discussion of what's a good pun. My favorite ever came from my stream last year. I tapped Weaponsmith, filtered it through Prismite, and used the mana to cast a non-artifact spell. Someone called that mana laundering, and I nearly died. <laughs> Love it. Love it. And the other one... We, got, we had one other, uh, courtesy of myself, in response to a thread of Mason's. Friends, what if we played insert cool flashy deck in me, and it's a bunch of octopus emojis? I said, what are you talking about? Demir is the flashy deck. Most of the cards have flash. And then there was one more, and I, did, I forgot to tag it, but I remember seeing it. Uh... Haas says, going to jump on this companion train, live in a few with some Garuda mill action, shooting for Mythic before Standard starts to churn, come say hey. And I said, is it even possible? I'll see myself out. That's all I've got for this week, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, again, you got questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, whatever, shoot them my way. But 
we'll catch you next week and I'll leave you with my usual parting. In times of distress, in times of, dis in, in times of disarray, it's important to remember, never be cruel, never be cowardly. Remember that hate is always foolish and love is always wise. Always try to be nice, but never fail to be kind. So go forth and be kind, everybody.